Well, if you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. I love that song. We just heard a cross meant to kill is our victory, and we will uh, be reminded of that in this passage this morning. While you're turning to Galatians 2, I want to show you another verse on the screen just briefly. This verse comes from Romans chapter 1, and there's something unusual about this verse. I, I want you to see if you can if you can pick it out. Uh, the passage says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. What's unusual about that? What's odd about that? Well, I think what's unusual is that the people he is writing to in Rome, they're already believers. They've already heard the gospel. They've already responded to the good news of Jesus. That's why they're in the church. That's why Paul is writing to them. So why is it that these people need to hear the gospel? Why is Paul eager to write to a bunch of Christians uh, about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, it's for a couple of reasons. First of all, because the gospel is not just for the beginning of the Christian life, but what we've been reminded of these last few weeks is that the gospel is for every single day of the Christian life. This isn't just something we do in the beginning, but this is something we must do every day. Our acceptance by God continues to rest upon the grace through the death of Christ and our faith in Jesus but the other reason I think Paul was excited to share with them again about the gospel of Jesus Christ is because we are so prone to forget the gospel. Uh, this is something, if we're not continually reminded, we forget. And if you think you never forget the gospel, if you never get confused about the gospel, then you are more spiritual and you are a better theologian than Peter or Barnabas. Because we're going to see in our passage in Galatians this morning that for a season, both of them forgot the gospel, or at least got confused about the gospel. This is something we need to be reminded about repeatedly. Now, let me show you one more passage before we just jump into Galatians this morning. This is in Matthew chapter 11, and I don't know that I have this for you on the screen, but just listen. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus describes living the Christian life, those are the verses, those are the words that he uses. And you notice three words stand out from that passage. Jesus says living the Christian life is easy, it is light, he says, and it will give you rest. But you know, honestly, many of us would never think of those three words to describe our Christian life. Uh, that Jesus said it was easy and it is light and it and it's restful. We think of our Christian lives as, as hard and, and, and difficult and frustrating from time to time. Why is it that for so many of us and for so much of our Christian lives, it doesn't at all resemble what Jesus said when he said it's easy and light and restful? Well, it's because, at least on some level, we have forgotten the gospel. And so this morning, I want to remind you uh, this message will be much like last week's message and much like the message before. I told you when we began the book of Galatians, there would be a lot of repetition, but it's good repetition. 
And so today I want us one more time to look at the gospel and be reminded of our incredible relationship with God based on the sacrifice of Christ. So let's just read Galatians chapter two. I want to begin in verse 11. He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, uh, now there's something to learn already. Uh, The word, but refers back to the first 10 verses uh, that we are not reading this morning. You can read on your own. Uh, Those verses tell us that Paul went to Jerusalem to confirm with the leaders of the church that everybody was on the same page when it came to the gospel, that we are saved by grace through faith. It is the work of Christ on the cross from beginning to end. And so Paul had been preaching that. He goes to Jerusalem. He meets with Peter, James, and John, and others, leaders there in Jerusalem, and everybody's on the same page. That's the gospel message. But now Cephas, which is just another name for Peter, I know that's confusing, but Peter, Cephas, Peter, he comes to Antioch. Now Antioch is one of the cities in Galatia. Galatia is not a city, it's a region, several cities, Antioch is one of those. So when Peter comes to Galatia, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Now wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on the wall for that? So Peter comes to town and the Bible says that Paul, Paul the apostle, confronts Peter the apostle because he says that Peter is teaching something that is wrong because Peter has for for a season gotten confused about the gospel. And so we continue on, verse 12. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Now, as we learned in the last two weeks, uh, people were teaching. Paul was teaching you're saved by grace, the goodness of God, by putting your trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross. But people were coming along and saying that you're saved by grace, but you also have to follow a bunch of rules. And so you're sort of partly saved by grace, but you're partly saved by following rules. And the rules that they had in mind were these dietary rules, uh, don't eat bacon, right? Don't eat pulled pork, don't eat fried catfish. They had these rules and they said, you've got to follow those rules and the circumcision rules. And so when Peter comes to, uh, to Antioch, He knows that that's not how you're right with God, following the rules. You're you're right with God. You're accepted with God because of this grace that God gives to us, because we have faith in Jesus. And so he, when Peter got to town, ate both with the Jewish people who had their dietary restrictions, and he ate with the Gentile believers that didn't follow the rules, and everything was fine. But then some of his buddies from Jerusalem show up and he changes. He refuses to eat with the Gentiles. He will only eat with the Jews. He refuses to eat foods that the, that the Jews uh, thought were uh, prohibited food. And he goes on even to teach that. So we'll skip verse 13. We'll come back to it. Look at verse 14. But when I, Paul, saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, that means they got away from the gospel, the true gospel, I told Cephas, Peter, in front of everyone, 
If you who were a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Now that's confusing. But what Paul says is, Peter, why are you now telling these Christians that to be accepted by God, they have to follow all of these rules? Because we had agreed that the gospel was was you're accepted by grace through faith. Why are you adding rules to that now? And so Paul is very upset. He points out that Peter, at least for this season, has gotten the gospel wrong. Now, let's go back and look at the verse we missed, verse 13. It says, then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Because Peter got it wrong, Others in the church began to get it wrong, and even some church leaders like Barnabas, they got the gospel wrong. And so then uh, he's going to restate the gospel in verse 15 and 16. Look at what he says. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So they took a certain amount of pride, many of them, that they were born Jews and that they kept the rules. And all these other people are Gentiles. They are not rule keepers. And so he points that out. He says, and yet, verse 16, because we know that a person is not justified, that means made right with God, by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Jesus Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Now, again, a little confusing, but what Paul says is, we were Jews and we kept the rules. We were very good at keeping the rules. They're the Gentiles. They didn't even know what the rules were. But when it came down to it, they had to accept Christ and we had to accept Christ. Because they needed Jesus and we needed Jesus just as much. We weren't any better off than the Gentiles. We, we weren't any closer to, to being accepted by God than the Gentiles were. Even though we were rule keepers, we still needed what Jesus did for us on the cross. We were just as hopeless without Jesus as the Gentiles were. It's not the rules that make you right with God. It's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And so he makes the gospel very clear. Peter got it confused. Peter confused other people, but Paul makes it abundantly clear. Now, one of the things that's odd about this is that Peter certainly uh, should not have gotten the gospel wrong. Uh, there, was, uh, there was a time in Acts chapter 10, in fact, uh, when Peter uh, had a dream. And in this dream, there was a, a sheet or a blanket that came down from heaven in the dream, and it had all sorts of animals on it, uh, unclean animals, animals that they wouldn't eat. And so I call this the pigs in the blanket dream, okay? And so the blanket comes down, has all of these animals, and God says in the dream to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says in the dream to God, no, no because I will eat no unclean thing. I want to be accepted by you, and so I'm not going to eat something that I'm not supposed to eat. And God said to Peter in the dream, nothing I have made is unclean. What he said is that, that you are not accepted by God because you follow or don't follow 
this dietary restriction, these, these rules, you're accepted by Christ. So Peter knew that. He experienced that. That's a big deal in the book of Acts. And it was a very big deal in Peter's life. Yet Peter still forgets the gospel. Peter still comes to the place in his life where he believes that it's grace, it's trusting in Jesus, plus something else. But you know, anytime we think that we are accepted by God because of grace plus, then we've always then we're adding something that's just not biblical. If we think we're accepted by Christ by grace plus keeping the rules, we've added something. If we believe that we're accepted by God because of, of, of grace plus all the stuff we know, we need to learn more stuff to be accepted by God. Well, we're wrong. We've, we've missed the gospel. If we think it's grace plus social justice, if we believe it's grace plus service, we're wrong. We've added to the gospel. Now, all of those things are valuable, right? Is it important to obey? Absolutely. Much of the New Testament gives us instructions and commands that we're supposed to obey. But we don't obey so as to be accepted by God. We could never obey that much. Is it important that we serve? Absolutely. Is it important that we study and know and learn? It's very important. All of those things are important. But we are accepted by God. This is what we must not forget. We are accepted by God. Because we have faith in what God did through Jesus on the cross. You know, there is something in all of us that, that wants to believe that we can somehow earn God's favor. That if we'll just be good enough, that we can somehow impress God and we can merit what God has blessed us with. But that is just not true. The gospel says we are hopeless to be accepted by God except through what Jesus Christ has done for us. I um, was at the barber shop two weeks ago. Don't laugh. That's uh, not meant to be a joke. Uh, but uh, the lady, the young lady who was, uh, uh, who was cutting my hair, and I, she may be here this morning. I hope she is, or watching at least, uh, she, uh, she was cutting my hair, and so I asked her if uh, she attended a church in the area. And she said she used to, and she would like to again, but uh, her church does not want her to come anymore uh, because she's not accepted by God because uh, she has tattoos and body piercings. And she said, I would love to, I'd love to be in church again, uh, but I know that this makes me unacceptable. Well, what, do you, what do you say to somebody like that? I'll tell you what I did say to her. I, I began with an apology. I said, I am so sorry that your church has, uh, has made your tattoos or your body piercings uh, some tradition or some rules that determine whether or not God will accept you and whether or not they will accept you. And then I shared with her the gospel that the truth is none of us are acceptable to God except for one thing, and that's Jesus. But that's enough. And I want to say sorry to anybody here or watching online or on television. If any church or any Christian has ever made you feel that you couldn't be accepted by God because of wrong choices or lifestyle options or anything else, listen, I'm sorry. 
the Bible says that none of us are acceptable to God except by Christ. That's the gospel. That's what people need to hear from the church. So uh, because people like Peter and even Barnabas, because people get this confused, uh, oftentimes we live with frustration. We live with uh, uh, guilt. We feel tired and condemned. Our Christian life is not characterized by restfulness uh, or that Jesus has taken uh, our, um, uh, our yoke and that his yoke is easy. So how can we remember the gospel? How can that be uh, the, the focus every day of our lives? Well, Paul answers that in one uh, well-known verse right here at the end of Galatians chapter 2. And I, I want us to look at that verse together. Uh, it's a verse you've heard before, I'm sure. A very important verse. And it tells us how it is that the gospel can be in the forefront of our minds every day. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, for some of you, that may be at the end of verse 19 in your Bible. For some, that'll be the beginning of verse 20. Um, but it's there. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is how we, we live with the gospel every day. Now, let me walk through this just quickly this morning. First of all, what do we do? He says, I have died with Christ. Now, what does it mean for a Christian to say that, that you have died with Christ? I, I'm not dead. I'm, I'm living. I'm walking. I'm breathing. I'm alive. In what sense have I died with Christ? Well, we've died with Christ in this sense. The benefits of Christ's death on the cross have been afforded to us. So Christ is the one who died, but the benefits of his death belong to me as a child of God. So what are those benefits? Well, the first benefit is that the penalty of sin has been paid. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin. The Bible says the penalty of sin, the wages of sin is death. Jesus paid that penalty. So the first benefit afforded to me, what do I first mean when I say I've died with Christ? That the, that the penalty of sin, uh, the punishment of sin has been paid. The second thing is this. The second benefit is that the authority of sin has been destroyed. Not just the penalty of sin, but the authority of sin. And so we learned this a few weeks ago when we, when we studied Romans chapter 6, that sin has no authority over me. I can say no to sin. Those are the benefits. That's what it means when it says, I have died with Christ. We need to remember that every day. I've died with Christ. There's no condemnation. There's no penalty. The penalty of my sin, there's no guilt because the penalty of my sin has been paid. And there's no bondage. I am not in something that I cannot get out of with the help of Christ because I am dead to sin. We have been crucified with Christ. All right, you got that part? Now let's go to the second part here. And then all of these will fit together. Secondly, he now says, Christ lives in me. Now, let's look back at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. What does it mean that Christ lives in me? Oftentimes, we, 
we think about asking Jesus into our hearts, and, and that's, uh, that's something that we say, and I, and I guess in some sense that's true, but, but that's not really all that it's speaking of here. What does it mean that Christ is in me? Well, in, in some places in the Bible, it talks about me being in Christ. And I, I spent a lot of time studying this this week. I, I'm, I'm convinced that there's really no difference between the two. I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. Two ways of looking at the same thing. It means that, that I have this connection, this deep abiding connection with Jesus. I'm in him as a Christian. I'm in him. He's in me. The Bible says that I abide in him and his word abides in me. I have this connection with Christ that changes everything. Not only have I died with Christ and received the benefits of that, but I'm connected with Christ. I am in Christ and I receive the benefits of that. Now, what are the benefits of Christ in me or me in Christ? Well, I think it makes me Jesus powered. It makes me Jesus sustained. It makes me Jesus guaranteed. Now, let me tell you what I mean by those. First of all, Jesus powered. Where do we get the power to live the Christian life? Well, because Jesus is in us. He lives through us. Uh, John chapter 15, Jesus said that if you will abide in me, you'll stay connected to me, then I will bear fruit through you. Just like a branch is connected to a vine. And so the vine nourishes the branch and the branch grows fruit because it's connected to the vine. You can live the Christian life, not based on your own strength, but because of your connection with Christ. He empowers you. But it also means that I am Christ sustained. Jesus is going to keep me going. Just sometimes we, we're tired and we're frustrated and we're not sure we can live the Christian life. We, we, we should know that if, if we'll hold tight to Jesus, we will be sustained through no matter what may come our way, no matter what tragedy or difficulty or stress may, may come our way. I think about uh, Moses and the burning bush. Do you know that story? may not be familiar to everybody, but Moses uh, had really struck out uh, trying to live the Christian life. He, he had tried some years earlier, and, and it lasted about 24 hours, and he got violent, lost his temper, and did stuff he shouldn't have done. And so, so now he's given up, and he's on the backside of the desert. But there's this bush that is, that is on fire. It catches his attention. And so he goes, and he looks at the bush, and it's on fire, though it is not consumed. And God is in the bush. And God speaks to him some very important things. That's another sermon. Uh, but he looks at that bush and he is amazed that though it is on fire, it is not burned up. Why is that? Because God is in that bush. Well, sometimes I feel like I'm on fire. Not in a good way, but in a bad way. Like my life is on fire. Like this is hard and I'm tired and I'm frustrated. But Christ is in me. And he will sustain me. I don't need to lose heart. Christ will sustain me through even the most difficult times in life. And then because Christ is in me, I am Jesus guaranteed. No matter what happens in my life, because Christ is in me, I will not lose my relationship with the Father. Isn't that good news? I may feel abandoned, but in Jesus I am loved by God. I may feel condemned, but in Jesus, I am spotless and I am above reproach. I may feel down on my luck, 
But in Jesus, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. All promises are yes in Jesus. And all things work together for good. I may feel neglected, but in Jesus, I have been chosen by God. I may feel defeated by temptation, but in Jesus, I am dead to sins. And Jesus will live through me. I may feel dead and lifeless, but in Jesus, I have the resurrection life coursing through my veins. I may feel broken, but in Jesus, he makes me complete. Uh, I, in, in Jesus, I'm a new creation and a beloved child of God. So the Bible says in Galatians 2.20 that I have died with Christ. So I receive the benefits of that, but also that Christ now lives in me and I live in him. And because of that, I receive these benefits. But here's the thing I, I really want you to hear this morning. I live every day by faith. Because here's the part that we live out, leave out. So look again at verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now it says, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I live by faith. Faith is not just something that gets us into the Christian life. But we have to, listen church, we have to have faith that what Jesus has done is enough for us every single day. We have to re renew that faith. Now, the, the Christians in Galatians, they really struggled with that. In fact, go ahead and look at the next verse, or, or the first verse of chapter 3. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? He, he says, who messed you up? What is, he, what is he talking about? Look at Galatians 3.3. 3. He says, are you so foolish after beginning by the Spirit? Are you now finishing by the flesh? See, they had faith in the beginning of their Christian life but now they're trying to please God all by themselves. And so what he says here is, no, you had faith in the beginning. You trusted in Jesus alone for the beginning of your Christian life. But you have to have faith every single day in order to enjoy the, the closeness of, of God. Let, let's imagine that the Christian life is, is like walking down a path. Uh, I know this is a little bit of a stretch, but, but hang with me for this. I think this will be important. So imagine that the Christian life is like walking down a, a path and you, you come to a fork and you have to choose one direction or the other. And there's a sign over one pathway that says, pleasing God. There's a sign over the other passageway that says, trusting God. So what is going to be the aim of your Christian life? Is it going to be pleasing God? Is that going to be what drives you? Is that, is, is that what you're going to focus on? Or is it going to be on trusting God? Now you may be thinking, Pastor, I don't understand that there's a difference. I want to do both. Well, uh, you do need to do both. But, but one of those will be the driving passion of your life. Which is it going to be? Are you going to focus on pleasing God or trusting God? That's exactly what Galatians 2.20 is about. Are you going to focus on pleasing God or trusting God? Pleasing God or trusting God? So let's go down the pleasing God path and see where it leads. If you go down the pleasing God path, my whole focus is on pleasing God 
then you will quickly come to the doorway of striving. You've got to strive to please the Lord. I'm going to work harder to please the Lord. You, you reach down and you turn the doorknob of self-effort. I'm going to put all my heart into pleasing God. I'm going to rededicate my life every morning to living as, as clean and as perfect a life as I possibly can. And then you enter the room of good intentions. You really mean well. You're in this room with many other people who are desperately trying to please the Lord. But the dangerous thing is that your vocabulary inevitably changes to this. What must I do to please the Lord? That's what you're asking. You ask it at the end of every sermon. You ask it every morning when you wake up. You ask it as you, as you go through your day. What must I do to please the Lord? What must I do to please the Lord? And, and that always leads to more striving and more self-effort in this vain attempt to somehow keep God happy because you've measured up to the standard. It's exhausting. And it's never-ending and never-satisfying. And many sincere Christians live in that room. And they can't imagine living the Christian life any other way. But some Christians living in that room recognize that it's not working. And they long for spirituality that's not rooted in fear and guilt and drivenness. They know this is not how I should live the Christian life. And church, listen, a lot of you are living in that room. And I tell you that because I've spent a lot of years in that room. Christian, genuine Christian, but striving to please the Lord. Frustrated that I don't measure up. So let's go back on our path and let's choose the other, the other way. The other way is the path of trusting God. And so if you go down that path, you quickly come to the door of brokenness. And you have to admit, I'm broken. And it's just not in me to live up to the standard of God without error. I am sinful to the core. I am depraved. I am broken. And you reach down to the doorknob of humility and you enter the room of grace where you're forgiven by the grace of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And you receive God's undeserved and unending love and favor. There are others in the room that are just as broken and sinful as you are, but like you, there's no competition because it's not about what you do, it's what he's done. And there's no condemnation. Your focus is on Jesus and how his sacrifice is sufficient to cover all your sins. You experience the fullness of God's grace, not depending on your ability or your performance. And you learn to lean on him for more and more and more you discover the power and the sufficiency of Christ flowing through you. And you're free to follow him. Fear and guilt are no longer your motivation. Now you're motivated by love 
and thankfulness and the glory and goodness of God. I don't know about you, but I want to live in that second room. Now, here's the thing about the two rooms, the two paths. If you go down the first path, I'm going to please the Lord. I'm going to try, and I'm going to try more, and I'm going to please the Lord. You will end up not pleasing the Lord, because you're not that good, and experiencing none of the Lord's peace. But if you go down the second path, I am going to focus on trusting God. You will do both. You will please the Lord. The Lord is pleased with faith. Your life will change and you will experience the peace of God. Just with your head bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if you have forgotten the gospel. I'm not criticizing. I'm not saying you don't know the doctrines of, of Scripture, but you can know those and still forget the gospel. I, I think some people, and I think this because I've been guilty of this, we rededicate ourselves to pleasing the Lord every single day. Every single Sunday, get to the end of the sermon, I'm going to please the Lord more this next week. And that gets us exactly nowhere. The gospel says, focus on trusting the Lord. Yeah, you need to follow the rules, and God certainly is going to change your life. But if we will trust the Lord in our brokenness and in our sin, thankful for the sufficiency of what Christ has done, then our lives will change. And then we will have peace. Father, help us be those who don't just need the gospel at the beginning, as important as that is, but help us to be those who wake up every single morning more committed to trusting and relying upon you and what Jesus has done for our forgiveness than we ever have before. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.